forest is a dangerous place for an egg. They're packed with proteins and fats in order to grow the new creature inside. But those qualities also make them tasty morsels for foragers. Moms of all sizes search high and low for a safe place to deposit her ovum, except for one insect. The spiny leaf insect perches high in a tree and flicks her eggs out onto the forest floor, never to be seen again. But she's not neglectful. She knows that they have all they need to survive in life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie Michelle on YouTube. And thank you to Brian for this week's episode artwork. To check that out, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at LT Taxonomy or visit us at LTTaxonomy.com. And today we're talking about a bug that looks like a deep-fried praying mantis. But more on that later. Delicious. Doesn't it? Just put some dough dough on that boy. And then fry it up and eat it. I'm Actually, I would not be surprised if... Um, such a thing exists? Yeah, such a thing happened in, uh, in Australia. Or even just any fair. Uh, there's, I guess there's better, there's better insects to fry. That aren't covered in spikes. <laughs> we got better um, insects to fry. Let's move on. <laughs> we got bigger, bigger bugs to fry. But we're talking about the spiny leaf insect. S L I. It's also called the giant prickly stick insect. Uh, it's also called uh, Maclay's Spectre. Which is, uh, that's an interesting one. And the Australian walking stick. That makes more sense yeah. than McClay's Spectre. Um, but we're going to call it here. I saw SLI, so I thought immediately of Sly Cooper. Hmm. Did, you ever, did you ever play Sly Cooper? I did not. I played a little bit of it. I, I looked it up, and on Wikipedia, it says Sly Cooper is an anti-heroic young adult gentleman thief raccoon (laughs) (laughs) so like oh that's a lot of that's a lot of uh little monikers you got there i've like a young adult gentleman thief raccoon i just love gentlemen i don't remember him being that much of like a a gentleman gentleman thief is like a what's a good example like a robin hood kind of yeah kind of like robin hood as opposed to the bad guys in the Goonies, definitely not gentlemen thieves. They're degenerate thieves. But the last uh, nickname I have is Leaf Eggson. Nice. Do like, you get it? Like Leaf Erickson? I don't understand yeah, why. Like Erickson. Uh, because it's a name that somebody had, and um, it's both. Uh, this is a leaf insect, and um, we're going to talk about the kind what it does with its eggs i i looked up a a list of gentlemen thieves like good examples guess who's on it um sly cooper 
<laughs> the the furry version of a of everyone's favorite gentleman thief. Oh, Gambit from the X Men is considered a gentleman thief. I don't know enough about Gambit. Yeah. To confirm or deny that, I just know he wears a trench coat and has a Cajun accent. Felicia Hardy is like a lady thief. Sure, Catwoman. Did you ever see To Catch a Thief? The thief in that. No, I haven't, but I have seen Catch Me If You Can. Have you seen Is White he Collar? A thief? Oh, yeah, yeah. That guy. Or one of the guys. So basically, it's just being a thief, a nonviolent thief. Nonviolent, like kind of. Sw- like, J- like if James Bond stole things. If you steal people's credit card information over the internet. You're a gentleman thief instead of no. mugging them for their credit card. No, you have to steal people's hearts and money. <laughs> yeah, you have to make them glad you stole from them <laughs> to be a gentleman thief. Like a, like um, a con man. It just seems like such an ungentlemanly thing to do that it just it doesn't seem like a, a, a description you could give to someone. But I guess it's a... Like a benevolent murderer. Uh, yeah. Or a... But I guess the idea is like it came from a time when it's like thieves are like the dregs of society and they're brutal and rude. But oh wait a minute, this one is subverting my expectations of him. He's quite he's a, a gentleman. He's a gentleman and a thief. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not talking about that at all. No, this uh, the spiny leaf insect Sly is actually not a gentleman. It's in fact an insect, as evidenced by its taxonomy. So, it's in a kingdom you know, love, and are in, and that kingdom is Animalia. The phylum is Arthropoda, as all buggish things are. Uh, the class is Insecta, so this is a true insect. Uh, the order is Phasmatidae. So, what is that, like a ghost? <laughs> um, the uh, f- family is... Sorry, the order is not phasmatidae. That's the family. The order is phasmatodea. Sorry, it's so similar that it caught me off guard. Phasmatodea for the order, phasmatidae for the family. The genus is Extatosoma. And the species is Tiaratum. Tiaratum. So Extatosoma Tiaratum. Which, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I'll take it. Not a bad one. Um, but since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show: critter groups. The part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question. That question is the same every time. What is the name of a group of this animal, or what is the term of venery, or what is the collective noun? And since the spiny leaf insect is technically a stick bug, we're gonna go with stick bugs. So, Joe, if you saw a bunch of stick bugs together, would you say that's A, an annex of stick bugs, B, a bushel of stick bugs, C, a clump of stick bugs, or D, a dapple of stick bugs? A dapple? Tell me them again. Annex, bushel, clump, and dapple a b c and d did it again maybe with bushel final answer 
Ding, ding, ding. You're correct. Ooh, well, I was hesitant to pick that one because it's like... It's one that you might come up with if you're thinking about a bug that looks like a stick. That's why I thought there was no way you were going to get this one. Dapple was calling to me, but I <laughs> did not go for it. That, I, I was I was really trying to figure out one that started with D that would be a convincing one. And I guess that was... It was as long as it was tempting, I feel like I succeeded. Yeah, I mean, I know that now that you sometimes come up with like fake words or like really non sequitur words, so like now that's on the radar. But you don't know what like well, some of these terms of entry are are words that just don't they they just take a uh, a verb. Uh, what is it? A flamboyance. Like a, like a, is a that, what's an adverb? Flamingos? Is that an adverb? A flam no, a flamboyance is it's a noun, I guess, but it's like it's non-tangible. It doesn't it's not a group of anything. It's just being flamboyant. It's your flamboyance. So it's just <laughs> this like really um abstract noun used to describe a group of animals and sometimes it's just like a um a verb like a murder of crows murder is just a verb <laughs> anyway <laughs> i'm i'm glad that dapple threw you off but let's talk about what this guy looks like it is a technically a stick bug but uh, if you're thinking of the guy from A Bug's Life, it does not look like... He doesn't look like that. But in the same vein. So, it, it, it looks like a combination of sticks and leaves. Yeah. Like a stick with a bunch of leaves growing off of it or glued to it or stuck to it or some, something like that. It has a long and narrow body with six long legs that come up and down. And uh, has these legs have flattened sections in between the joints, and that those resemble the leaves. Kind of looks like a dried up leaf. Yeah, yeah, because mostly because uh, they are mostly yellowish brown. They're, because uh, if you want to not get eaten, you don't want to look like a tasty bug or a really tasty leaf. Or yeah, I know you want to look like a dry leaf that nobody wants except for to like make their nests. <laughs> so yeah, they. They look, uh, they're usually kind of a, they can be a bright yellow, but for the most part, especially in uh, full adulthood, they are um, just a tan brown, like a, like a dead leaf. Um, and it has, so it has this long body with this long abdomen that sticks out past, past its legs. And for the most part, particularly when it's threatened, it'll take this abdomen and curl it up like a chameleon's tail or more importantly a scorpion so we're going to get into its the way it camouflages uh in a little bit but that is one effective form of uh camouflage is looking like a scorpion that always helps mimicry um yes mimicry and it does that on several different levels uh it has a teardrop shaped head with kind of like a it all comes to like this point in the back um, like it's a wearing a Tron helmet, and 
it has two long antennas sticking out and whenever when i was looking at close-up pictures of this it looked it's its head looks like an ant's head it's a big ant's head and that's remember that for later yeah so i've seen pictures of this guy look huge and also very very small so how big is it is it is it is it big enough to cause serious harm to your handed face or is it small enough to be negligible well there's only one way to find out and that's the beloved measure up segment the official listener's favorite part of the show the part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in a relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family it's also part of the show that's introduced by you when you send an audio of yourself saying senior chittering the words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com we do have a new measure up intro this week from our friend Noice. Laura. Noise. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. Hello, Mister Jerry. Say measure up. Measure up. Measure up. <laughs> oh, that is cute. <laughs> I have not uh, seen them in a while, so I have. I've never heard Laura speak before. Yeah, Laura has words now. She can use her words. Yeah, Mason's will eventually get there. Right now he just screams very angrily at us. <laughs> well, thank you, we Laura. That was um, the good words. Good articulation. Yeah. She sent in I'm, some know, before, and it, this is the first time where, like... It hasn't been uh, baby babbling? Yeah, it's complete measure up. That's what she said. Measure up. Thanks, Laura. Okay, so let's talk female length. There about there's a, there's a good degree of sexual dimorphism, which is differences between males and females of a species. Um, and some are some are more dimorphic than others. Uh, but females are bigger. They're about 5 to 8 inches or 20 centimeters or thereabouts. So we're going up with the with the upper end of average, which is 18, 8, 18, 8 inches. An 18-inch stick bug would be terrifying. That's uh, Skull Island stuff. <laughs> so how many female spiny leaf insects go into the longest ever knitted scarf? Here's a hint. The scarf was made by Helge... Helgi Johansson. Not Helga. This is a man. Helgi Johansson. Johansson? Yeah. Uh, in Oslo, Norway. In 2013, uh, the scarf was rolled into a tight ball, which was unrolled in a sports arena to be measured. Oh, that helps, I suppose. I guess it could be unraveled in a circle and take up the whole arena there's just no end to that yeah this is another one of those records that the once you know how to knit a scarf the only barrier is time yeah oh did you make a a mile long scarf well give me a year or whatever i'll make a one that's a mile and a foot. <laughs> I wonder it's if not Guinness like, has like rules about you have to beat it by a significant margin. 
Like yeah, because that would be really annoying if like every inch was a new record. Or what if he himself just added an inch to it every year? And like every yeah, year it, they had to come out and measure it. If I had the world's biggest scarf and then I found out that there was a rival scarf, I would just start working on mine again. Yeah, that's true. Unless you need like one unbroken ball of one unbroken thing of yarn. Yeah, I don't know what the knitting rules are. You're going to have like little knots in it where you tied a, the next piece of yarn on. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I, it's easier with things that have physical limitations. Like a sunflower or a pig or something like the biggest of that. But when it comes to like noodles and... Well, even the noodle has a structural integrity thing. But just with enough support, you could do it forever. But yeah, this is worse than the noodle for sure. And you have to... And I think you have to cook the noodle. Do you? Is I, it not a noodle until it's cooked? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it, was it an uncooked noodle? That seems really easy. It's just putting basically dough together. Anyway, we're talking about scarves. And... Yeah, you yeah, one person can do this in their house with no help required. I'm going to say this was a mile. That seems like a lot uh but also not insane. So that's 5280 feet. I'm going to say 8000 stick insect females. Sti- yeah, fe- large lar- the largest spiny leaf insect go into this well the scarf was 4565 meters oh darn it that's 14978 feet and six inches or 22467 stick insects yeah so they must have unrolled that in the arena and gone around the arena over and over again it went up and down in rows in tight loops. Uh, and it's long enough to make it across uh, or make it the length of Central Park. Wow. That is very, very long. <laughs> it's really long. It's almost three full miles long. Do you think he, he did a mile and he was just like, well, if they're going to come out here, I might as well do two more. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not like I'm literally, it's not like I'm doing anything else at all with my life. I'm just I mean, knitting. With enough time, you could go to work and come home, do a couple feet every day, you know? If you did a couple feet every day, it would take you so long. That's true. It depends on how, like, how good he is at it. It would if take you, like, really fast, 30 years to do that if you did two feet a day. And I, I have no idea how fast it takes to knit things. I imagine you could probably, if you were good at it, get it done pretty quickly. Plus, knitters, like, they'll do something else. Like, they'll watch TV. Like, the the, the classic granny watching TV, knitting. Or sitting in the except, corner, knitting, you know? Except this is Helga Johansson, the, I imagine, barrel-chested Norwegian man. <laughs> he looked to be... A- knitted, knitted it out of his own beard hair. <laughs> a jack sparrow um <laughs> yeah let's talk oh, about goodness and he pro- uh, probably got to watch all of cheers twice 
All right, let's talk about male length. They're 11 centimeters, so a little bit smaller, almost almost half, uh, 4.3 inches. So how many males go into the length of the diameter of the smallest known star in the universe? The length of the diameter? Yes. Or just the diameter? Well, I don't want you to go about the the width of the diameter. That doesn't make any sense. Here's a hint. The star is called EMBLMJ0555-57AB. Catchy. And it's about at... um, I I forget. It's about 600 light years away in the Milky Way galaxy with us. All right, I'm going to say this is the size of Earth because that's all I have to go on. Well, it's pushing the it's uh, it is pushing the limits when it comes to to, to small stars. Cuz if it were was any smaller at all, there wouldn't be enough mass putting pressure on the core for the hydrogen fusion process to happen. Yeah. It it was so close to becoming a brown dwarf or being a brown dwarf. Is that not considered a star? It's a type of star, I guess, but it's like small, too small for the fusion process. I don't know. Is it a star? Technically, a black hole is a star. No. It's just a bunch of mass that's it's compounding together. But it's a lot more than just... It's not burning. It's a substellar object. Actually, we have no idea what a black hole looks like because it's the event, the uh, escape velocity is greater than the speed of light, so it could be burning. We we wouldn't know until we were got too close to the event horizon and got spaghettified. It's between the most massive gas giants and the smallest stars. A black hole. A brown dwarf. Oh. Um, some of the biggest things in the galaxy uh, universe are black holes. Well, unless you count clusters, in which case then those are way bigger because they have black holes in them. Well, um, the black hole itself is like virtually a point of singularity. It's very small, but it has almost it has an insane amount of mass. Right. So its its diameter would be conceivably pretty pretty small if you were to measure it but it would have a lot of stuff in there a lot of atoms yeah when you when you look up like how the biggest one it go, it's like the heaviest one how much mass is in there and it's based on its pull um all right so i'm going to say this is i'm i'm still going to go with this being the size of earth i anyone with an ounce of uh astronomical knowledge would pro- probably immediately be able to say like nothing with the size of earth could be able to sustain the hydrogen to the, the helium to hydrogen to carbon fusion process but or, so i'll say 60,000 miles that's probably too much but who cares i'll go I'm going with it we need to move on 60,000 miles 
The answer is 88,409,302. You failed successfully. <laughs> because Saturn, it's this, about the size of Saturn. Uh, okay. Which is way bigger than the Earth. Yeah. But its diameter is 72,367 miles. Oh, Earth is much smaller than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, one billion and change uh, male stick insects. What? Yeah. No. One billion? Yes. I got 88 million. I'm not even close. And yet I got the the mileage pretty close. What did you say for mileage? I said um, six... Oh... <laughs> I forgot a zero in my calculations. I put 6,000 miles. Never mind. <laughs> I imagine I said 884 million. That, that, that's what I meant yeah. to, to put instead of 88 million. And then, yeah, then I'm relatively close. All right. That was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I got for that. You have any fast facts before we get into the major fact? All right. So, as I mentioned earlier, this sly lives in Australia, but there are also populations in New Guinea. It likes, obviously, leafy areas. So, jungles and forests and things like that. Like the humble koala, sly mostly just eats eucalyptus leaves in the wild. But they can eat other kinds of leaves in captivity, but they don't get as big and they can have different colorations in captivity. Some people keep people, it as a pet and thankfully the internet was not polluted with pet information. Yeah, I did see quite a bit of pet information, but it was not it wasn't the only thing that was there. It just goes to show you, researchers, if you study something, then we'll have more to talk about. <laughs> Study it for goodness sake. And publish your findings. Or if you have it as a pet, study it. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me the weight of it. Yes, I want all dimensions and behavior, please. Don't just tell me how to keep it from dying in a terrarium. Um, So, Sly, the gentleman thief, raccoon, antihero, young adult has an arsenal of defense mechanisms to hide from and ward off predators. For starter, they have passive camouflage. And passive camouflage means you don't have to do anything to be camouflaged. Since, you know, they look like sticks and leaves, just hanging out on their favorite eucalyptus branches keeps them pretty well hidden. But they also use active camouflage, which means you have to do something. You're an agent uh, in your camouflage and uh, that happens when if the wind blows a tree, the tree that you're in, and you're the only thing not moving, it's going to be it's going to be pretty clear that you are you you don't belong. One of these things is not like the others. So what they'll do is they'll sway with the uh, the leaves that are moving with the wind and that'll make it so that they stay camouflaged even more. And on top of that, if there are many levels of passive and active camouflage don't work. The stick bug is also covered in thorns so that it can David Hyde Pierce its enemies. Pause for laughter. (laughs) 
because David Hyde Pierce is the voice of the stick bug in Bug's Life. Oh, that's that joke is so much better now that I know that. <laughs> Did you not know that? No. I'm well, the only I must stick have at with one point. Eyeballs. Man. Okay. Yeah. Watch it again, and you're like, oh, "That's Niles Crane right there." I, I hear it. I hear him. I hear the un- underrated uh, physical co- comedy just emanating through that uh, animated character. So when it's when uh, the stick, the spiny leaf insect is threatened, it'll use its spiny rear legs to poke attackers that come from behind. And it also curls its abdomen around like a scorpion to uh, to look bigger, to look more imposing like a scorpion and to protect itself. Um, also, speaking of mimicry, as we did before, uh, when they're nymphs, they look almost exactly like ants, which helps them avoid predation because uh, it takes a special kind of predator to just eat ants. Most most animals that eat a wide variety of things probably won't go for ants because they are not necessarily nutritious and can be um, a nuisance to eat. Unless you have special ant-eating equipment. Like a big, long tongue. Yeah. Or just you're impervious to being bitten and stung by ants. Or you don't care. Uh, Also, male spiny leaf insects have wings. And they're actually pretty good flyers. So they can escape predation that way as well. And uh, that's about it for me for Fast Facts. I think it's time to move on to the major one. Okay, I'm calling this major fact egg mimicry because the mimicry doesn't stop at adults. So there are many plants around the world that get benefits from producing tasty seeds. You have fallen victim to this as well if you've ever eaten a chia uh, or a a sunflower seed or a sesame, yeah. So while it seems counterproductive... Animals that eat seeds disperse them wherever they leave droppings. Same. And the eggs are... <clears throat> yeah. We There's would, a, too, there, if it weren't for... There are... My my youth is just has so many Burger King bathrooms with all those sesame seeds just dispersed. If you've ever had a trail mix, like, while camping, you've contributed to this, probably. Are, are there seeds in trail mix? It's usually nuts Sometimes sunflower and seeds. raisins and M&M's. There's sometimes there's sunflower seeds and I don't know if like you oven roast a seed if it's still viable, but oh, sunflower seeds are so good. Uh, so the eggs are robust enough to make it through digest, uh, not eggs. The seeds are robust enough to make it through digestion without being destroyed. Um, so this technique helps plants to distribute their offspring far and wide without sapping all of the resources of a particular area. Go on. Some animals could benefit from this similar method. So if you're a stick insect, you don't want your whole family to eat all the food in your area and then starve, right? But how to achieve optimal dispersal? Certain plants in the leaf insect's home range drop oval seeds with a tasty white cap that has a lot of fats and nutrients. The cap attracts ants that you pull mean the eggs seed or seeds. Yeah, the pl- I'm, I'm talking about plants in the stick insects area. Okay, okay. That drop seeds. <clears throat> um, 
and the, the seeds attract ants that pull the seeds underground to be stored and eaten. Um, the remaining bits of seeds, or the seeds that don't get eaten, germinate and grow new plants. So the leaf insect and several of its cousins drop eggs that look almost identical to these seeds. Hmm. It even sports that fat capsule and attracts ants. Stick insects simply sit in a tree and lay an egg that tumbles to the forest floor. No nesting or hunting for the perfect burrow required. So they just plop it onto the ground. So the ants do the rest. Scouts will find the egg and pull it into their stores underground. But when the egg reaches the inspection team, someone says, this thing is no seed. It's breed. (laughs) Most uh, eggs get ignored by the ants after that. So once they're underground, they're safe from other predators as eggs. uh, And then once they hatch, they're also, you know, not getting grabbed by birds. Um, Hopefully not being eaten by ants. We'll, We'll get to that. Researchers thought that uh, maybe these eggs are more like seeds than we thought and may be even able to survive getting eaten uh, and go- making its way through gestation like seeds can. So in 2011, scientists fed stick insect eggs to some birds to see what would happen. And the birds loved them, gobbled them up, and completely digested them. So that that didn't pan out. They, nope. They totally eat the the eggs. So since birds seems seem to like these eggs and then totally destroy them, researchers believe there must be a way that the risk of the this egg laying method is covered in nature. Perhaps the ants are more of a crucial part of the stick insect's life cycle than we thought. But there's I, I found another thing that said that stick insect mothers will poop. And, and, like, drop leaves that they eat and stuff like that, uh, like leaf bits, directly beneath them. But when they lay eggs, they flick them further away. So the the idea behind, or the reason we think that might be, is because the female is creating a pile of smelly stuff right beneath her. And she throws the egg farther away. So the smelly stuff attracts scavengers and predators and the egg is farther away and like out of the radar of anything that would be distracted by the smelly pile Hmm. so that takes care of that potential danger so like maybe birds and other things that would go after these eggs are attracted to the stuff that's attracted to the pile like other insects and like uh wasps stuff like that yeah um so now you're smart, and you might have some good questions about this method. I am like, smart. Like, what happens when the baby hatches in the middle of an ant's nest? You are smart. You thought of that exactly. I did it. Uh, well, hatchlings look a heck of a lot like ants, it turns I did out. say that, didn't I? And I legitimately yeah. <laughs> asked that question, and I totally forgot that they mimic ants as, as nymphs. Um, they have thin bodies and legs with and with really big heads. Still, once they hatch, baby stick insects make a break for the nearest tree as soon as possible. Because the disguise doesn't hold up for long. Yeah, if, ants if, are based on chemicals, not necessarily like taking a gander at things. Yeah, you know? if if they if the egg couldn't pass seed inspection, then I'm sure they're not going to pass ant inspection. <laughs> yeah, 
So you may also ask, what about mating? When do males fertilize the eggs? So stick insects do reproduce sexually, but they don't have to. An unfertilized egg can produce a baby insect no problem, all on its own. Um, when this happen, when this happens, the hatchling is always female. It's it's basically a clone. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if a male happens to find one of these egg drops and fertilizes it, then it can produce either a male or a female. So it seems like males are really incidental. They're smaller, just hunting the forest floor to make more males potentially. I it seems like it could this could very quickly become an all female species. But I guess you need event, like males to event, uh, every so often fertilize an egg to to help the gene pool cuz I don't know what what happens if you have clones on clones on clones and clones, you know. Then I mean if you have a clone making a clone of a clone of a clone then you just have a clone from the first one. Like should the, be, there should there's be there's no zero. degradation. I don't. I I don't know. There might would, be like because if something affects their DNA, like I don't know. If, I don't know if bugs get cancer, but cancer is something that affects your DNA. Then the the sixty clones later, there's a big big problems. There there are alleles are off. That's a word in genetics. I remember. Yeah. I have not. I haven't come to my genetics deep dive. I've done my space one. have we not delved into genetics oh we have before we we even talked about that gecko that oh yeah makes clones of itself i'm surprised this isn't like a hermaphroditic situation like the um like the this like snails where they can just fertilize their own eggs well there's a good degree of sexual dimorphism so maybe that's a farther genetic leap than asexual reproduction yeah interesting they could just make clones of themselves and of course they're yeah would, they would always be female because they're the ones that lay the eggs huh we just need to figure out how to uh, actually we do know how to clone people it's just not ethical <laughs> yeah we just don't do it i'm surprised there hasn't been some wacky there must be a lot of overhead when it comes to cloning i'm surprised there's not been some wacky guy who's who says that to heck with the rules I'm going to make a clone of me. It shouldn't be that difficult. It's been a while since I looked into it. Because I was writing a, a novel did, a while back. on this show, talk about how easy it is to clone. <laughs> Have I? Or, I mean, or, or maybe I, not this show. I don't know. How, how easy it is in, in, in concept, but not... It's, it's simple in concept, but I imagine extremely difficult in practice. Because you just need... You need a germ cell, so you need an egg, and you remove the nucleus from that egg, and you replace it with the nucleus of literally any cell from the person you want to clone. Because all of your cells, except for your germ cells, sperm or egg, have 100% of your DNA in it. Sperm and egg cells have 50% of your DNA, uh, so that when they combine, they create 100% of a DNA. But your skin cells, your hair cells, your neurons, all this stuff has 100% of your DNA in their nucleus. If you just take that and you put a completed 100% complete DNA in the nucleus into an egg, and that egg begins to um, divide, then you have you've cloned. That's it. That's all it takes. 
Like putting a sports car engine into a, a station wagon. It's going to look like a station wagon, but it's going to go a little faster. <laughs> a little? Well, it's just like, yeah, any... You have the shell, which is the egg, and it's just waiting for... Like, m- most eggs have 50% DNA, and that's why they don't divide. Once they get 100% DNA from sperm, then they start to divide and are a person. So all you do is just put 100% of the DNA in there, and then it starts personing. It's just I imagine it's very difficult to do what I just described. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All righty. That's all I got. So, yeah, yeah. And end the show on a little bit of cl- uh, armchair cloning science. Huh? <laughs> from from definite experts. So, that was the spiny leaf insect. For you out there in podcastia, blend in. Keep your thorns sharp. And just throw your young into the dens of better parents, like the spiny leaf insect here in life death and taxonomy hey taxonomy titans thanks for listening to the episode just a few quick things as always reviews and social media engagement are greatly appreciated but Recommending the podcast to friends is the best way to help us grow. If you'd like some LDT-flavored merch, check out teespring.com slash stores slash taxonomy teas. That's it. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Life, Death, and Taxonomy is my favorite in the world podcast. <laughs>